Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the hallowed halls of Epic Productions here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X, giving a stage and microphone to human excellence in the constant and never-ending pursuit of creating infinite sales opportunities and infinite opportunities by having conversations with megapreneurs, right? And tonight, <laughs> tonight is absolutely no different. Folks, get your popcorn ready. We are rejoined tonight by none other than Chris Walsh. Chris, what's going on, brother? How what's are you? What's up, Dave? How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks awesome. for coming back in, Thanks man. Thanks for having me here. You got it. And uh, folks, as always, we are infinityx.com. We are infinityx YouTube. If you have a, a question for Chris this evening, uh, by, by all means, please put it into the chat. We will get through it uh, and get to your questions uh, during the course of the conversation. Folks, if you remember, the last time that Chris was in our office, he walked through his journey. Right. And the you've gotten to know Chris from a standpoint of building out a really fantastic and massive team at EXP. Um, he's done unbelievable things. He was able to navigate through the 2008 downturn. Right. Really, really creatively with short selling, which still was dope. I, yeah. I told that story like three or four different times. So I yeah. thought that was amazing. Thanks. But, you know, where where we left it off last time was we 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 baited the hook for you. Right. Because. You know, not only did we go through the journey, but tonight we're going to go really, really deep on what's happening now in the real estate market. Each and every single day, we here at Epic have conversation after conversation after conversation with folks that are feeling out their entrepreneurial spirits, want to move into real estate, want to leverage insurance strategies to be able to deploy into real estate, but they may or may not be necessarily educated in what's happening in the markets right now, right? We have a lot of turmoil happening in the markets. We have inflation at 40-year high, at plus 40-year plus high. We have interest rates that have spiked up to over 15-year high. We have a market that's moving left and right, NASDAQ down 25% year to date, you know, it, or more, quite frankly. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of things that's out there happening. And I keep hearing people say, the bubble bursting in real estate. Bubble, I love that word. So, Chris, I mean, tonight, I let's let us let us let us get real deep, brother. Because if there's anybody that has their pulse on the market of what's happening in real estate, it's this man right here, folks. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Chris, well, what are you seeing, brother? It's interesting you said that word. You know, bubble. Um, that that's a word that to me, that reminds me of going back to 2004 through yeah. 2008. Yep. I guess you could say even before 2004 it started. And, but you got to ask yourself, like, why was, why was the market booming back then? The market mm. was booming back then because there was an artificial demand that was created. Right. Okay. Right. So anybody could buy a home. They were doing stated income, stated assets, stated credit, stated employment. You know, everything was stated, stated. Right. And for, for the folks out there, go deep on that stated okay. credit. Like, what exactly was that? So basically, there was the subprime lending, uh, you know, uh, period, I right. guess you could call it, where anybody was able to get a house. You're just okay? getting mortgages so away, right? Wall Street got involved and basically through deregulation and uh, that was when we had what, Alan Greenspan was yep. the uh, head of the Fed. Yep. They basically deregulated all of your mortgage requirements that you know Fannie Mae and, and um, uh, Freddie Mac typically had in place. Why would so, they do that? 
Well, they did it uh, to, I guess, stimulate the market, you know, right. and stimulate the market they did. Um, <laughs> so basically what they did was they, through deregulation, they created the whole subprime lending sector. Mm -hmm. um, and subprime really became everything. Mm -hmm. um, that, was, that was all the rage. Uh, that's what most of your, your loan officers were uh, practicing was in the subprime space. Um, and then the whole concept of like predatory lending came into play yeah, and, and yeah. a lot of people got in a lot of trouble because what was happening was a lot of these loan officers, because there were people that really should not have been purchasing homes. Yeah. So it was like they were lucky to be there, you know, to begin with. Right. So these loan officers, I guess, felt that it was okay to make, you know, four or five, six points off each loan. So you had lenders that were making, you know, $35,000 on a you know, three hundred fifty thousand dollar loan. loan. Are you kidding or, me? It was crazy, <laughs> and uh, and they were charging them all sorts of fees and things like that. And then what happened was all these, you know, these these borrowers, these purchasers, got into these homes that they never should have been in to begin with. Because with subprime, they were not only letting you get in; they didn't state their credit, but they allowed they allowed borrowers to to borrow a hundred and three, sometimes up to a hundred and six percent of the cost of the home. Oh my. 103 to 106% the cost of a home. Folks, uh, are you listening to what? I mean, okay, that's just crazy. That's absurd. So, um, so you didn't need money for any down payment. You didn't need money for closing costs because, again, it was 103% right there. covered your 100% your financing plus your 3% for closing costs. Sometimes they would bump you to 106. You want to know why? Because you had to pay a couple points to the lender. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> so it was crazy. Oh, but anyway, so... What happened was, if you guys saw the movie The Big Short, I don't know if you did or not, but that was a, a really good portrayal on what went on at the very end, which was, you know, Wall Street got involved. They started bundling these loans together. They started packaging them and selling them uh, to, to big banks as mortgage-backed securities. And I guess they figured that if we take enough of them, put them together, put them together, and we diversify these portfolios – and then we create mortgage-backed securities and yeah. then sell them off. Yep. They're they're like you know fractions of each loan in each of these bundles, right? right. So Diversifying the risk, for, right? You know, I guess yeah, they figure yeah. you know like they can't all go bad. Well, they all went bad, um, and that's when you had you know right in I think it was October of 2008, you had big banks like Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers just collapsing, everybody yep. falling apart at the seams. Uh, you had a 780 billion dollar TARP uh, rescue package that yep. was brought forward by the federal government, and it was just a disaster. So. That, that, what I just described, that is a bubble. Right. Okay? Right, right. What's happening right now is a lot different. All right? What's happening right now is actual, genuine, authentic, legit demand. Okay? This is real demand. These folks have real money. They have real credit, real employment, um, real assets. So it's real demand, and it truly is, a sh there, there's a shortage of supply. Right. So... What makes up any market? You know, it doesn't take a wizard supply economist demand, to, to, yeah. to answer that question, but yeah. supply and demand. Sure. So yeah. when you have a limited supply and you have an a, a, a extremely powerful and very strong demand, overwhelming demand, you know, what's that going to do? What do you, you think know? the catalyst has been to this demand? Oof. Don't get me started. Yeah, uh, just start it up, brother. I'd love to hear it. Love well, to hear it. Yeah. I mean, there's a few things. So obviously this started as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I remember I had quite a few homes under contract in March of 2020 when quarantine was issued and the lockdowns happened. Yeah. And I, I remember I, I started getting phone calls from uh, some buyer's agents that had contracts on listings of mine, and they right away wanted to renegotiate the purchase price to a lower amount. Mm. And I asked, 
well, why, why? why would you want to do that? They right. said, well, to factor in what's about to happen. Oh, and I okay. said, factor in. So you want to renegotiate for something that hasn't happened yet, <laughs> anticipating that something will happen? Like, you know, you can't. That, that, that's not what right. you do. Let's wait. <laughs> the for, anticipation let's, clause. Let's wait for X. Let's <laughs> right. wait for X to happen before we go to Y. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, in fact, the opposite happened, though, because what happened when they started issuing all these um, these lockdowns imposing all these lockdowns was that you had all of these populous areas, these densely populated, uh, you know, cities such yeah. as New York, Philadelphia, or any of your urban uh, type cities. Uh, I'm sure even where we are right now, Red Bank could, could have even um, been affected like this. But you had a lot of homeowners or I'm sorry, a lot of residents. They weren't necessarily homeowners. You had a lot of residents that were fleeing these areas because they didn't want to be in these, um, you know, high volume buildings. Um, a lot of them, a lot of these buildings have shared ventilation systems sure. and things like that. Yeah. So a lot oh, of wow. people, I didn't even think, oh about yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why a lot of people wanted to get out of, they were, they were trying to, uh, you know, a lot of these buildings in the city were trying to upgrade their filtration systems, systems and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. But the bottom line is a lot of people left the cities and they didn't create new inventory when they left because a lot of these folks that were living in these cities were living in rentals. Right. So they, you know, you started generating you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of um, you know, individuals. Yeah. And these people decided, well, you know what? I'm going to leave the city and you know what? I'm going to buy in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So you had mm -hmm. this suburban sprawl that sort of happened out That's of nowhere. Incredible, man. And these individuals decided that they wanted to buy. But you had a lot of sellers that either weren't looking to sell their, you had a lot of homeowners that weren't looking to sell their homes. Partially because they were locked down, well, right? Plus you know, they, didn't, they didn't want people coming in and out of their houses. Right, right. You know, they I have know. small children, things God, like that. They yeah. don't want people coming in and out of their houses. It's so crazy. Um, you know, I'm lucky because my industry is one of the industries that was deemed essential. So real estate agents kept working, mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of cool. And, but I remember what it was like. I mean, you're going into these homes, people, you know, everybody's like, they want you to put on like a hazmat suit. I remember, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you had, all of these uh, individuals that were now, you know, heading to the suburbs and they were looking to purchase homes. So there were no homes being listed in, in you know, volume. Right. You know, so you had the same inventory you had before, if not less, because a lot of people didn't want to put their homes on the market due to, you know, fear sure. of exposure to COVID, COVID or whatever. Right. So um, that is really where it started. That's incredible. You know, and... Yeah. Once it started there, other things started happening where and listen, I, I say this all the time whenever I'm doing these zooms or whatever. But, you know, why do people buy and sell homes? People buy and sell homes during life changing events mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. OK, yep. with the exception of covid, covid was one of those anomalies. Covid was sort of this thing that happened that doesn't normally happen. I mean, right. none of us have ever seen it in our lifetime. We probably never will again. Right. Um, since the Spanish flu, there's never been a pandemic. Right, right? not would there. I mean, yeah, was, no. that was yeah. a hundred years ago. Right. So, um, people buy and sell real estate during life-changing events. Okay, uh, birth, death, marriage, divorce, job change, relocation, um, retirement, things, things like that. So, mm -hmm. those milestone events in your life, it's not like they're going to stop. Right. Okay. So, right. if you were pregnant right. going into pandemic. You don't just stop being pregnant because, you know, things <laughs> around you all of a sudden changed right. and, you know, the market changed or, or, you know, people's needs changed. But what pandemic did, too, was having people go remote and work uh, remote where, where they weren't going into the city anymore. So 
a lot of people started moving out of state, moving to other areas. Mm. There was just a huge shakeup. There was like musical houses. Okay? <laughs> right. It was just everybody was hopping around, moving around. So you had all of these people that were coming in from the city, the cities, you know, densely populated areas. And then you had all of your individuals that were in the buyer market because of life-changing events. Right. You know, they were having right. a baby or they were in the middle of a divorce or they're getting married or whatever the case, right? So all of those things, it was like the perfect storm, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then throw on top of that, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are hedge funds literally out there, massive, massive hedge funds, especially yep. right now. Yep. Um, you know, I'm not trying to get political or anything, but um, there are uh, uh, different beliefs of why this is happening. Mm -hmm. But there are literally mm -hmm. hedge funds out there, uh, like BlackRock, yeah. someone who's massive, you right. know, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to work with. They are going out, and you don't hear about it around here, and it's not something that they talk about on mainstream media. But there are hedge funds that are going around the, the country purchasing thousands of homes at a clip mm. before they're even built, not even giving your typical everyday buyer a chance, a chance right. at that opportunity to buy a home. Right. So why are they doing that? Well, they're doing that to diversify their portfolios. Sure they are. Yeah. I mean, you see what's going on in the stock market right yep, now, absolutely. right? So sure. real estate is a diversification of, it's a hard asset. Yep. And uh, it's a diversification of, of investment. Yep. And um, you have these hedge funds that are gobbling up tens of thousands of homes. It's not happening so much around here because there, we don't have t thousands of homes being built. Right. Right. You go to areas out in the Midwest sure. or down south. I have sure. a buddy who sells down in Alabama, mm. and he says yeah. his biggest competitor right now are the hedge, hedge funds. funds. Is that right? Yeah. God, that's unbelievable. So you have, and again, it's not happening here, but mm -hmm. it's that ripple effect. It makes it's perfect that, sense. It's though, that yeah. ripple effect, yeah. you know? Yeah. You start gobbling up homes here, eventually yep. it's it just the domino effect, and eventually it will get back to here, where we are in the New York metro area, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So... Lots of different things created that perfect storm. Right. And what you have right now are you have this massive demand, extremely powerful, overwhelming demand of people who need homes, uh, people who can't leave. Like a guy like me, if I needed a home, I can't leave. My businesses are here. Sure. My children are here. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, so I, I couldn't leave. I'm not one of those people that could just pick up and go. So, but there are a lot of people that can, and God bless them. That's great. Um, but it's like you have a real estate short squeeze happening right now. Yeah. You have a very finite amount of homes. You have this overwhelming demand and it just keeps pushing, pushing, pushing Absolutely. the prices up. Yeah. And that sort of brings us to another topic that you mentioned, which was, you know, rising interest rates. Right. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, historically, because if you look at what's going on right now and you look at the stock market is not doing well. Right, because you know markets markets don't typically like rising rates, you know, right. especially the tech sector, you know. So yeah. stock market's not doing well. Right. Um, I mean, you look at like the crypto market; it keeps getting crushed. Yeah, kryptonites. <laughs> keeps getting crushed, <coughs> and you. But you see that we have the best job market that we've had like in yep. American history right now. Yep. Anybody can get a job, and no one's getting terminated. In fact. People are getting raises to stay. Sure they are. Okay. Sure they are because of the exodus that we experienced right. into people trying to fill out their entrepreneurial right. oats, right? Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. sure. <laughs> so you have one of the best job markets we've ever seen, and yep. you have one of the uh, – we have the highest-priced real estate market. I'm not going to say it's the best real estate market, 
but we have one of the highest priced, not one of, we have the, the highest, highest priced prob- yeah. real estate market yeah. that we've ever experienced in American history. Right. Okay. So what are rising rates going to do? I mean, my personal opinion is that folks, you should be taking notes on this. If you're <laughs> thinking about buying a home, if you're thinking about making a strategic investment, write this down. And by the way, folks, if you have a question for Chris, please put it into the chat. We will get to that. So rising rates, brother. I just think rising rates are, are going to make it the worst of both worlds. I mean, I don't think that rising rates are going to disrupt the housing prices at all. Interesting. I mean, the demand is so powerful. I just think if anything, like if I'm a buyer, hmm. Let's say I'm a, I'm a buyer, I'm married. Um, I tell my wife, hey, babe, we're, we're looking at houses at $1.5 million. Yep. And I'm really relying on the banks to purchase this home. So I'm gonna finance, let's say 80% of the, of the cost of the house. Um, if the rates go up from, let's say 4% to 6%, mm-hmm. and I'm on, you know, if I'm on a budget, I, I make a, a certain amount of money every year, yep. year after year. Yep. Uh, I don't think I'm going to see like a tremendous amount of growth in my in my career over the next couple of years. The only solution I have because I still need to buy a home, right? Right. And I don't have an extra hundred thousand dollars just to throw down to offset the rising rates, right? More than likely, I'm just going to tell my wife, hey, instead of one five, like we got to look, gonna a mi- we got to look a million two, or right? A million two fifty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yep. You know, if I'm looking at a $700,000 house, I might say, hey, that's so interesting we got to look too, 600. But it's like a ripple effect, though, because, okay, then, so I was looking at the one five house, and now I go down to the 900000 house. Right. But that 900000 house was probably listed for eight twenty nine or yeah. something like that. And, you know, and then right. the demand for those middle market homes. Well, and that's just that's, it. So I don't think, incredible. I don't think you're going to have the guy who's in the one five price range yep. that's all of a sudden going to go to the one five seller and realtor and say, hey, you know what? My rates went up. I'm only going to bid one four on this. They're going to say, okay, that's great. Well, this other guy over here just bid one five fifty, so we're going to sell to him. Right. Because that guy might have been looking at one seven or one eight, and he decided he can't afford it. Now, granted, I'm not saying everybody's going to shift down in range, but some people will. And I think enough people will downshift yep. in their price range to where they are now sort of like, the, the big dog in that price range bidding on homes. So I feel like every price range is always going to have that like big bidder. Mm-hmm. Yep. I totally understand that. That's always going to take the prize. Sure. Yeah. You know, so you're yeah. always going to have that guy because there's so many buyers out there that if you have 10 buyers on each house at all times and five of them shift down into another price range, it's just, gonna they're going to yeah. be outbidding the people that were there before that sure. are now, you know, so, it's just this, again, it's like this ripple effect, this domino effect of just this chain reaction where I don't foresee the prices coming down anytime soon. I, I don't know if they're going to keep rising at the radical rates they've been. Yep. I think that was, I think the catalyst there war, was the, uh, the low rates. But it's like the damage is done, so to speak, yeah. for, for the buyer. Like yeah. the prices are already there. Everybody's already accustomed to them. I don't foresee them going anywhere. Folks, we are Infinity X Stage and Microphone with Human Excellence. This is Chris Walsh sharing with you all things real estate right now. We're not just talking about this market, you know, here in in the Jersey marketplace. We're talking about nationally. We're talking about supply. We're talking about demand. 
we're dispelling the idea that this may in fact be a bubble, right? Or I wouldn't say dispelling, we're giving education so that you can make an informed decision. Replay on weareinfinityx.com, weareinfinityx YouTube. Now, Chris, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So the naysayers out there, mm -hmm. right, would say, I don't know, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? The, the naysayers out there would say, inflation being where it is, mm -hmm. and as a result of inflation being where it is, the Fed is going to raise rates, but they're, but the concern is recessionary pressure, mm -hmm. right? And doing it too aggressively where they push us into recession. And typically speaking, when we're in a recessionary period, people are not only, you know, tightening their wallets, mm -hmm. but you have, you know, there's a ripple effect to your point, right? Markets have the tendency to pull back. And when shareholder value is being sacrificed, what's yeah. one of the things that corporations do? They cut human capital, right? Because that's a big cost of doing business, yeah. right? And it's, un it's an unfortunate piece of America, which is why so many people are looking at entrepreneurial opportunities right. as well, right? But, you know, if, if, that were, if that were in fact to transpire, right? And you started to see job losses in the masses, right? What's your opinion about what's your opinion about the I'm not going to call it bulletproofness. <laughs> That's not even a word. But what about, you know, how risk adjusted making an investment or purchasing a home will be in a market like that? So you mean all right, so obviously if we head toward a recession, yes. that's a different story. If there's job loss, if we start seeing uh, people not able to afford their homes, yep. then we will see a repeat of 2009 and 10. I, I, I have no doubt. I mean, you'll see short sales. A lot of people purchased homes with 20% down right yep. now in this market. Yep. Um, people went in on offers saying that they were putting 50% down, but that was just to win the bid. At the end of the day, they put 20% down. Yep. If the if if we start going into a recession and there's job loss and people start defaulting on loans, yeah, because there's widespread job loss, yeah, we will have a foreclosure boom. There's no doubt. If that happens, the market will that then the market will crash. Okay. Um, yep. But you can't say that we're in a bubble only because the phenomenon that's taking place over the last two years, right? I don't think it's a bubble. I think it's real. It's a real demand. Mm. There's a real shortage of supply, but if we start talking about recession, we start talking about job loss and things like that, that's a life-changing event that would cause people to sell their home. Sure. When there's a sell-off of anything, the prices drop. Because when there's a sell-off, it means the supply is, is increased, right? right? right. And they'll, they'll usually take not top dollar, they'll take an offer. What they can get. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, um, but your question was, what, what's the... Um, well, it's more along the lines of, okay, so, you know, because there is plenty of argument out there that the Fed could aggressively raise rates sure. to the point where we do experience a recession, a yeah, recessionary I mean, time. Last yeah. week, I mean, that was pretty hefty. Yeah, hefty. yeah. And, and, you know, from that, from that perspective, but also, you know, our, our listeners are not only, you know, home buyers, but they're also entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? And so I guess the question that, the question that pops up is, does that create catastrophe or does that create opportunity? Right. And, and, and to that, you say what? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> in my experience, yep. it creates opportunity. Mm. Let's talk more about that. Okay. So from an opportunity perspective. When, whenever there's a catastrophe yep. of any kind, opportunities are born. Right. right? right. So obviously, if you're the guy that was holding, you know, 10 multifamilies and all these uh, pieces of real estate yep. and properties – 
that you bought during the, uh, you know, the, the boom, so right. to speak, not bubble, boom, um, <laughs> and you're holding these at peak values, and then the market pulls back 20%, you're probably tied up and you're probably not able to liquidate. It's right. like, just like me right now, I'm holding a bunch of, uh, I'm holding a bunch of crypto. Right. 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 And, uh, Ooh, my, my plan was not to hold on to this crypto for six months, right? but I'm holding on to it for the past six months because crypto is just sitting there like, uh, you know, like weekend at Bernie's It's not doing anything, <laughs> you know, it's just right. sitting there. Yeah. Actually, right. it just yeah. went down like 20% like yep. yesterday. Yep. So, I mean, th these, this is what's happening. And obviously, but if you're liquid waiting for an opportunity, and we do go into a recession of some kind, and um, that happens where you know corporations start cutting jobs and, and things like that, and and then it's harder for these homeowners to pay their mortgages. Yep. Then yeah, we're going to see widespread default across the board. Yeah, you know, you're going to see that it's going to become a, a regular thing. Yeah, and with that is is created opportunity for the the strategic investor. Now here's the question. And let's not forget that actually yeah. happened during COVID. Because the banks started doing uh, forbearances on mortgages. Oh yeah, and yeah, those, yeah, those yeah mortgage, that's true. Those mortgage yeah. forbearances were basically yep. what a mortgage forbearance is for anyone that doesn't know. A mortgage forbearance is basically a deferment of your payments. So if your payment is I don't know uh, three thousand dollars a month and uh, two thousand of it's going toward uh, principal and a thousand of it's going toward interest, basically they'll allow you to not pay your three thousand dollar a month mortgage. Whatever is your principal doesn't nothing happens because it's your principal and you're not paying, and then whatever your mortgage, uh, I'm sorry, whatever your interest payment was, will get tacked onto the back of the loan, so it just becomes added to your principal basically. So when you go to sell one day, you have to pay that back. Got it. Got it. Um, so the banks could get creative, I guess, but you know the banks are in business to make money. Yeah. If they're giving everyone forbearance, they're not making any money. Some of these banks will will do a cost benefit analysis and they'll say, hey. You know, it's more worth our while to foreclose on these people than to give them an opportunity of forbearance, you know. So but again, to, to answer your question, um, during a recessionary period like that or doing during recession, a recession like climate. Um, yeah. I mean, when there's blood on the streets by real estate. Well, so if when there's blood on the streets by real estate. Now, here's a question that came into the chat. And I think that this is this is folks. This is a microcosm question because it gets more back to personal philosophy, which we'll dig deeper on in a moment. But the question that came into the chat was, uh, should I sell my house? Well, because the price is so high. Hmm. Yeah. So I get that question a lot. <laughs> um, should I sell my house because my price is so high? And typically what they want to do, so there's usually two parts to that question. One is, should I sell my house because the price is at a, at a peak, all-time high? Or should I hang on to it because rents are at an all-time high right. and I can hang on to it as an investment property and build my investment portfolio? My answer to that is pretty simple. Sell your house today. The reason I would say sell your house today is because today that house is at a peak value and today you are exempt for all capital gains on your house. Ooh. Okay, so today you've been living in your home for at least two out of the last five consecutive years. That is what identifies it as a primary residence, mm. okay? So when you sell your home, an individual is exempt for $250,000 of profit, and a married couple is exempt for $500,000 of profit. So if you sell your home today, you're selling it at a peak, and you don't have to pay tax on it. If you hold on to your home for more than three years and a day, and then you decide to sell it, chances are the values probably won't go up as much as you need them to 
to offset for the amount of tax liability and tax exposure you're going to have. So my answer to that would be sell your house today. Unbelievable. And get a tax break. Folks, we are Infinity X Stage and Microphone with Human Excellence. This is Chris Walsh giving education on all things real estate. And, um, you know, just to dig a little bit deeper, though, Chris, yeah. on the question that just came through. Um, and by the way, that was an outstanding question. But two things push markets. Mm -hmm. Fear, greed. That's it. Right. Yeah. You know, it's going to be that way with anything. Right. It's going to be that way with the stock market. It's going to be with, with with real estate. Yeah. And in times like this, I have found that people abandon investment philosophies oh to go God. after, you know, to, <laughs> to go after the uh, the bright, shiny toy yeah. or, you know, out of out of concern about a bubble popping. Yep. Right. Or something of like that. They, they make a irrational, irrational yeah. decision. I, mean, I didn't right? even dive into that before we, we could. We could talk about this all day, but yeah. fear is the entire reason everything ha started from from go. Let's go. Let's get deeper into that. You know? I love that. Well, I mean, yeah. fear is what motivates everybody. So it's fear of not having a place for their, you know, children and family to live. Yep. You know, what are you gonna do? Couch surf with a family of five? You know, <laughs> it's not gonna. It's not gonna work years? out real well. Yeah, it's yeah. not gonna work out. Right. Um, why did people leave the cities? Fear. fear. I mean, there are riots happening. Um, you know, COVID. Right. You know, I mean, COVID, it's like, oh, you're going to everyone's going to die. Right. So fear was the ultimate motivator there. Um, now you have other components and other factors, and, uh, uh, you know, the, that are that are on the table, which yep. are rising interest rates, yep. rising home prices. So the reason people were bidding so high and so I don't want to say recklessly, but so um, freely, I guess you could say they were they were being. Uh, you know, very FOMO, I guess, you know, you it's, know it's these <laughs> people were just, they were, they were just bidding like crazy because they figured, well, even if I bid 10% over the prices are probably going to go up 20% in the next year. So I'd rather just, you know, pad in 10%, right. get the house today, as opposed to wait for it to go up another 10%. And then I'm still bidding 10% over. Right. So it just made more sense to, you know, lock a house down. And just throw money around. Plus, money was so cheap at the beginning of COVID. Right. You know, I mean, right. interest rates were in the twos. I know. You know, 2.875, 2.75 was not an abnormal thing. Right. You know, so it's just now that, you know, it's like everybody got uh, acclimated to the pricing. And now rates are, you know, approaching five. And, um, you know, when you're talking about a large sum of money, a million dollars, that extra 2% you know, does have an impact. Well, but you know what? I think what you said was incredibly relevant too, pertaining to, okay, well, if you're on the fence, y you know, you can capture capital gain without any type of income taxation. I think that's a really, really re relevant point, Chris, yeah. because, you know, n folks, let's get, let, let's get more, you know, wide scale here for a moment. I mean, and again, I'm not a CPA, but I keep, I, I say time and time and time again, you look at our debt to GDP, right? You look at you, you know you you look at what's happening in our marketplace in, yeah. in, in in general, and the three largest cost items are not going away. I don't care what anybody says. Medicare, Medicaid isn't going away. Social Security is not going to go away, even though everybody seems to think it's going to. Name me one person well, in politics that's going to allow Social Security pot to run dry, right? right? And then and then um, uh, civil defense, right? Those right. three things we're going to have to double down on where does that money come from? It comes from taxation. Right. So the tax bomb in my, in my opinion anyway, is 
heading at us like a freight train, whether people like whether what people want to think about it or they yeah. don't. So being able to take advantage of tax efficiency right now, I think does make a tremendous amount no, of sense. Taxes are a funny thing, man, yeah. because you know, I know the Biden administration is all about, you know, increasing taxes, right? They're yep. like tax, 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 tax everybody, tax the rich, tax everybody, raise uh, raise taxes. They want to raise the capital gains tax on real estate, mm. on investments, all of that, right? Yep. But then you have like the Trump administration and, and, and Trump's philosophy on taxes were lower taxes, lower taxes, because if you lower taxes, we're going to spend more money. Right. It's like the saying, would you rather own like 10% of like, you know, a, a billion dollars or 100% of a million dollars? Right. You know, right. I'd rather own 10% of a, a billion, billion dollars. dollars. So Trump's idea was lower taxes. That way we're going to bring all these major corporations, you know, car manufacturers, all these back. people back, yes. right? Yes. Which will create jobs, yep. okay? Stop giving away so much free assistance and free money, but we'll create jobs. And if you want to make money, you could have a job, you know? Lower taxes, that way it'll um, stimulate spending, you know? Yeah. And, and which, then, by the way— And then the more spending. So, if, But if the taxes are so high, I might spend $10. Right. But if the taxes are lower, I might spend a hundred dollars, ten times what I would have spent if the taxes were higher. Hundred percent. And you're getting a lower tax rate off every dollar I'm spending, but I'm spending ten times more. And by the dollars. way, there's more sales tax actually being generated right. because there's more sales that are actually exactly. taking place. And when there's more, and, you know, right? And there's right. more taxable and, income. And, that, and yes. what, what happens though is yep. we keep the economy, the 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 um, we keep our national economy thriving. Right. Because we're spending money. Right. We're going out. We're keeping the small businesses in, uh, uh, open. You know, everybody's like playing their part. When you just tax the heck out of people, people start to like shut their doors. They don't want to, you know, everyone gets like weird, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want right. to spend as much money. <laughs> uh, and then again, now you have corporations that are leaving, you know, the United States. So it's like we went through so much to get people here and now we raised the taxes and now we're chasing them, them away again. You know, and now we're going to start outsourcing again to, you know, foreign countries, which we really shouldn't be doing. New question coming into the chat. The question is, if I sell my home today, I'm moving into another home for well over normal prices. So all of my profits get diluted. No. Is that the question? Are my profits going to get diluted? What's going, what's going on there? So if I sell my home today yep. and I buy a new home, yep. is that what the question yep. is? If and I sell my home I, today, my profits are getting diluted. Is, is essentially what it's saying. Well, no, it's it's like in any market, man. I mean, you, you 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 know, if you sell high and you buy high, it's all relative. Right. You know, I mean, if you want to try to time the market, but that's like me trying to time my like IRA contribution Bitcoin. for the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. like, it just yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're selling a home at in this market, you know, I mean, I mean, don't sell your home and then go rent for a year. That that's psychotic. I know a lot of people that did that. They sold their home thinking they cashed out, they went and rented and the market went up another 15, 20%. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now for them to get even the same house back that they sold, they yeah. have to pay another $100,000 to get the same house. Right. So they're like, oh man, what are we going to do? So now they're like renting because they, they refuse to get back in the market. And in that situation, your, your profit gets diluted. But if you're keeping things all relative, right? And all things considered equal. If you're keeping everything relative and you're selling high and you're buying high, you know, then yeah. But I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, speaking of relativity, you're selling a house for $500,000 that went up 20%. So your, your house for $500,000, if it goes up 20%, now it's worth 600,000. Right. Okay. Right. And you're buying a house for a million 
that also went up 20%, right? So maybe you're paying a million two for it. It so was a million, now it's a million offset. two. So the percentages are the same, but I understand what you're saying about di diluting your profits in that you, you generated an extra 100,000 and now you're, but you're buying another house for 200,000 more. I get that, but but there's so much more to be taken into consideration. Yeah, but, but the too. only reason you're probably able to buy that $1.2 million house or that million dollar house is because of the proceeds you were able to walk with from the house that you originally sold that was up 20% extra. But one thing probably stayed constant, and that's cash flow. See, that's the thing that people don't necessarily think about as well is that, okay, if your cash flow is essentially equal, right, but my house is inflated massively – well, now I'm going to go into now I'm going into a lar uh, a more expensive home. What what are two things that are going to come along with that? A larger price tag on the mortgage, sure. right, with a higher interest rate, yep. and then probably higher property taxes as well. Yep. Because if you're elevating the house, 100%. you're probably going to be paying more in property tax. And so, from that perspective, did your cash flow really change? No, it was probably a negative occurrence. Mm -hmm. I would make the argument of right. right. So. Good question there. We have another question that's coming into the chat here. Let me just double check what that is. Chris, oh, this is a good one. I like this one. You ready, brother? What is your safe haven investment in real estate? Safe haven investment in real estate. Um, hmm. I mean, typically when you're buying real estate, you, you want to stay away from want to stay away. From, and it really depends on you as an investor, yep. okay? Because everybody's different. So what's a safe haven for me and what's a safe haven for some other folks could be a different thing. But, you know, if I was an out-of-area um, investor, for instance, I might be very inclined to purchase uh, lower-priced condominiums, okay? Um, lower-priced condominiums are definitely going to be a worthwhile investment. Um, you as the owner are responsible typically for the walls in mm. and the association, the homeowners association just is responsible for the walls out. So if there's an issue outside, it just gets taken care of by the property manager. Um, and typically with condos, you know, the lower priced condominiums are typically better because usually there's, there's like the flat, you know, basically like cost base for rental that you could charge. And then you're going to charge more the nicer or bigger or better location or, or condition or year it was built or whatever, you know, for other condos that might be in surrounding areas. So, but typically speaking, you're going to get the biggest spread on lower price condominiums. Mm. But if you really want to diversify, because again, what if you get a bad tenant, you live out of state right? and you could be local. I'm using that example that you live out of state just yep. to, because I know a lot of people that purchase properties in other states. Oh, state, sure, of course. They, you yep. know, they, 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 uh, there's lack of a control. They regret there, it. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, yeah. Th there's all sorts of problems yep. um, because they own single families or two families, things like that. So condos are usually a, a really good bet for that. The only drawback with condos is that you really can't Airbnb them. And if mm. anybody's looking to do an Airbnb, usually there's restrictive covenants in the HOA uh, bylaws that forbid and prohibit you uh, from doing Airbnb type rentals. They'll only allow a maximum of two leases per year, typically, uh, and they do that specifically for that. And let's play a little bit in that space because the follow-up question that came to – and by the way, folks, great questions in the chat. We but are I, I Infinity would say, X. Though, I would say safe haven would be like a two- to three-family home. Hmm. Uh, diversify the uh, vacancies in there or the potential vacancies. So if you get one bad tenant, at least you have another one or two carrying the property. Okay, And usually if you could uh, create it so that the – uh, positive cash flow equates to at least one of the rental unit uh, rental amounts, 
than if let's just you know what I mean by that. Yep. So let's say let's say your your carry on it's two thousand dollars a month. Mm. You have two uh, you have three units and you get a thousand dollars for each unit. So you're getting a thousand dollar positive cash flow every positive month. Cash flow, right. So yeah. if one of those units goes bad for some reason, the other two carry exactly what your overhead is on that investment. Folks, we are Infinity X stage and microphone human excellence. Chris Walsh dropping bombs of knowledge here today, and uh, you know, and we've been t we've been spending a lot of time talking about you know, is this a bubble? Is this artificial? Um, should I sell my house? Should I abandon my investment philosophy? What about taxes? Um, I think one of the big things that has been a little bit of an 800-pound gorilla in the real estate market, Chris, mm -hmm. has been do I do Airbnb or do I not do Airbnb, right? And so, right. Uh, yeah, and, you know, there are those that say that as a result of the power politically of the hoteling world, right, that more regulation – uh, is going to come down uh, is going to come down the pipeline and it's going to make it much more challenging and much more difficult to manage Airbnbs and to buy mm -hmm. Airbnbs. Sure. So, is Airbnb still a great investment? I would say yes and no. I mean, I, I think, you know, buyer beware. Uh, mm. I'm sure you've heard that saying, buyer beware. I think you really need to do your homework uh, before purchasing a property that you're going to um, hold as an Airbnb type property. I think always having that backup, always having the um, the knowledge uh, to have a backup plan. So if let's just say, I know that there are some towns, for instance, over here in Monmouth County, Long Branch Township yep. has outlawed Airbnbs. They're not allowed in the town. So it doesn't matter if you have a single family, why, multi-family. Why, why did they do that? And it's been a while. This has been at least five years that yeah. they've had this law. Yeah. Um, they just don't want the transient type clientele coming through the town. Mm. You know, I mean, they, they, they are a beachfront town, but they're also, they have like a, an inner city element to them. So I, I think in their minds, they right. already have enough problems. Right. They don't need any more. Right. Um, so they just don't want to have that transient type clientele coming through the town. And they don't want all that traffic. And that's their way, I guess, of uh, preventing that from happening. So um, and I know that there are some people that still do them, you know, but if you want to be uh, compliant and you want to you know, stick with the rules, which I don't recommend when you're dealing with investments, Buying an investment that you know going into it, you're going to be breaking rules. Right. You're setting yourself <laughs> up for disaster. That's probably a bad uh, If you're holding yeah. a property and rules all of a sudden change and things evolve around you and you need to sort of roll with the punches, that's one thing. But uh, I don't think you should go into something knowing you're going to be breaking rules. Um, but And the fines are hefty, like big time. It's really? like $1,000 first offense, 5000 second offense. Like it just keeps going up and up and up. Could they press like criminal charges on it? You know, I don't really know the details yeah. of, of how intense they get, but – I know that they do a scan. Literally, they have somebody in their office that scans Airbnb like regularly, looking for properties listed in that town. Unbelievable! And then they'll they'll come after you. So, uh, but yeah, Airbnb. I mean, th the amount of rates you're gonna get, the the rateable that you're gonna get on an Airbnb is astronomically larger than what you would get if you just did like an annual twelve month. You lease. talk about cash on cash return. Yeah, That's, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. You know, if yeah. you if you do an Airbnb and you rent a, a house for three hundred seventy-five dollars a night or yep. something like that, um, do, I mean, do the math on that. That's, to, that's like eleven grand a, a month. Or is, grand a month. is managing that yourself though uh, counter, you know, counterintuitive? I mean, do, would you do you hire a management company for that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, if I if I was gonna if my plan was to do Airbnb type properties, I'd probably plan on having several of them. 
and I'd probably plan on hiring a property management company hmm. because you got to think about like the housekeeping alone is sure. like the turnover on that thing. If you're turning it over two, three times a week to different people, now some Airbnbs do week minimum, yeah, uh, and and that keeps yep. that sort of keeps the flow going. Um, but again, you have to be sure that you're purchasing in an area that can uh, constitute that type of uh, requirement. You know, where you're doing like a week long rental. So something near the shore or near like some kind of destination point would be ideal. But uh, listen, if you can do an Airbnb and make it worth it, I think all, all day I would do Airbnbs. We are Infinity X Stage and Microphone Human Excellence. This is Chris Walsh. Replay on WeAreInfinityX.com. We are Infinity X YouTube, Apple, Spotify, every single vertical that we know. Um, <clears throat> so, Chris, two more questions that came into the chat. Well, one question, and then I have a question for you as well. Sure. So <clears throat> let's say that uh, I do decide that I am going to list my house. Yep. Right. Um, it's it's a different, you know, at, like we're not just going to haphazardly list our house right mm -hmm. now. Right. You know, because you have to. You ha what are some what are some things that you're seeing that that sellers are doing to increase the attractiveness of mm -hmm. it, to increase foot traffic and volume, come people coming yeah. into the house to create that feeding frenzy? Well, let me just say this. OK, the days of hiring the lady at church that, you know, because you do the bake sale with her on, you know, the Sundays <laughs> and she happens to have a real estate license. Those days are over. OK, this is today. It's like you need the true market professional in your corner going to bat for you, because the things I'm seeing that are happening out there um, that realtors are dealing with. 95% of the agents that are out there Can't operating handle. don't even know what to do. Really? Okay. They don't even know what to do. And these types of issues are coming up constantly. You know, I was getting uh, proof of funds sent to me on multiple offer situations. So I would, I would list a property. Mm -hmm. I would call for highest and best final offer by a certain deadline. I'd get nine, 10, 12, 15 offers in sometimes. And I'd get proof of funds showing that somebody's purchasing and they're, they're a cash buyer only to find out that the proof of funds that they provided was some piece of shit document that they Googled and found it, an editable, you know, Wells Fargo statement <laughs> online, right? right. And, yeah. and, and really, yeah. they're an FHA buyer putting 3.5% down. But they're totally falsified to be able to. But they're falsifying yeah. it because they want to be able to compete with the actual cash Unbelievable. buyers. Unbelievable, yeah. So these are things that, like, you know, you need to be able to spot. It's kind of like, you know, I, I'm involved in these restaurants, and I have this door guy that – He's, he's just got this talent, man. He can spot fake IDs from a mile away. And I'm like, this guy, how does he do this? <laughs> fake you IDs know? are still a thing. I'm like, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, my God. Dude, we, it's been we, so long we, since I needed a fake we get, ID. We get, Jesus. We get like you know? <laughs> three to four or five fakes a weekend. It's crazy. These kids. They come, and these kids come in with their parents on top of it, which I think is <laughs> mind-blowing. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, but you got to be able to, like, understand what to look for, you know? And if someone's coming to the table and they have a bogus proof of funds, it's like, listen, I'm not faulting anyone for being an FHA buyer. Like, that's fine. Yep. But I will fault you if you try to commit fraud by, you know, uh, uh, trying to trick us into thinking that you're, you know, you're a certain level type it's of like buyer. It's like subprime 2.0 right there. Yeah, you know I mean, you know I mean? people like, coming in and they're, you yeah. know, they're, they're just, uh, they're posing as these, as these, you know, liquid buyers that have, you know, $1.2 million in the bank and really... You know, they have uh, $120,000 in the bank and they're putting 10% down on this property. Uh, but that's how competitive this market has gotten. But you have a lot of Man. other issues that are taking place right now. You have a lot of uh, even just, just the personalities, you know, the, the dynamic of the clientele, the buyers, the sellers, um, just different things that are happening. Um, you have a lot of different um, regulations that are, that are being put forward. 
Um, even the real estate commission has changed a lot of things as far as how realtors can operate over the last couple of years. Mm. You know, it's just, if you're not really in it, like in the trenches doing this every day, selling a high volume of homes, you probably don't know these things are happening. Okay, so it's really important. Like if you're gonna be listing your home, especially too, I see a lot of agents that really don't know how to, how to um, facilitate multiple offer situations. Our job as a listing agent, when we are fulfilling the role of listing agent, our job is to look out for our seller's best interest. Sure. And that is to get our seller the most money in the shortest amount of time possible with the least amount of hassle, okay? That's our job and that's always my mission, okay? And a lot of these agents, man, maybe their heart's in the right place, but their head is, is just not on the same page. And they haven't been there done that. I see them right? making yeah. mistakes time and time and time again. Yeah. You know, and even buyers agents. I mean, I see these buyers that are coming in and they're making an offer on a property that I have listed. And I hear them saying, like begging for us to take their deal, telling me that they've missed out on, you know, 17 homes. Sure, and so that's irrational exuberance right there also because then they're just looking at the house because it was staged nicely, right? And well, they're, well, you know. A lot of these buyers come in and they're like, oh, we've already missed out on 17 homes. And I'm like, who is your agent, man? How is your agent 17 homes and you haven't found a home? And they're like a good buyer. 20% down, nothing to sell, you know, bidding, you know, well over list. It's like, this is a relationship driven market too. Okay. Yep. And I hate to yep. break it to a lot of these newer agents, but get out there. If you're a newer agent, I would say, get out there, you know, bump elbows, shake hands, um, meet people in your industry because I have been cashing in 18 years of relationships in this market. And that has probably been my biggest, uh, asset in getting offers accepted on multiple offer situations. You know, I've been cashing in a lot of relationships. I see the listing agent and I'm like, hey, remember that time yep, I helped absolutely. you out or yep, whatever. Yep. You didn't but treat like, them like crap 10 years you ago. Just, right? You have history with these people. <laughs> yeah, I've right. worked with them in the past. This is real, folks. You know, and yeah. um, relationships are key. I have a lot of agents that work within my organization and I tell them all the time, you have to value and preserve your relationships. Relationships are everything. If you go around burning bridges, eventually it's gonna come back full circle to you. And when you need to call in a favor, that person's gonna remember that one time you did them dirty and things aren't gonna work out. You want, uh, things are not gonna work out the way that you want them to. So um, yeah, I mean, preserve your relationships uh, and really know your profession, you know? And if, if you're thinking about selling your home, definitely go with someone who's got a lot of experience, especially not just experience, but experience in this market. Right. You know, if they took the last two years off because they went on hiatus with COVID or whatever, you know, just make sure that they're fluent in what's happening today. And, you know, folks, we are Infinity X Replay. We are InfinityX.com. Chris, it's not just the seller, right? But it's also the buyer, right? Yeah. And you represent buyers as well, of right? Of course. So if I... If I see house, uh, the house around the corner, right? Yeah. The house around the corner is listed for $429,936, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's listed that way for a specific reason. It's a safe assumption that I'm going to have to go in over asking in this market, right? Usually, yeah. What strategy does the buyer deploy in putting in, it, you know, like, so that person that missed out on 17 different yeah. offers, yeah. right? They're obviously getting bad counsel, yeah. but how do you counsel your, <laughs> so I, one I, of the I things, knew you'd like this question. One of the things I do for my buyers is I, well, it's not that I'm doing it for my buyer, but one of the things I do in that situation when I'm working with that type of buyer, and it doesn't work with everybody, but take your typical buyer who's in their mid thirties looking for a home. They have two kids. 
Uh, they've been working in their career for, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years. They have 20% to put down, 20% in savings. Maybe they have another $50,000 over here yep. in reserves or whatever. And they're coming to the table and they're saying, hey, I'm putting 20% down on, on a home. Okay. Yeah, that's all fine and great. But um, there's a lot of other people out there that might be putting more down than 20%. And I hate to make it like this because at the end of the day, if the person's approved to do 100% financing, I don't really care how much money somebody's putting down. Sure. If they're approved, they're approved. But at the end of it all, and when we bring these offers to our sellers, and we have to make a judgment call as to who the best buyer is, and let's say the prices are very close, we then resort to like, okay, who's got the most money down? Mm. That's usually the tiebreaker, right? Is who has, who has more money down? So what I do with a lot of my buyers is I say, hey, how much money can you show? And what I mean by that is, do you have a 401k? Do you have an IRA? Cash value, life insurance. Do you have life insurance, cash value? Do you have mutual funds? What do you have going on? Now, maybe they only have that $50,000 in reserves, but maybe they tell me they have $500,000 cash value in their 401k. Yep. Well, if you have a $500,000 cash value in your 401k, we're going to use that as proof of funds. And we're going to say that you're putting that money down only on the contract. You're never going to actually have to put that money down. But just to beef up your contract and your down payment amount. Okay, so if you're buying a $700,000 house, you already have your $140,000 for your 20%. You had that $50,000 in reserves, right? That's $190,000. And then you have that $500,000 proof of funds because you could show your 401k cash value. So now we can actually say just about that it's a cash purchase. But the reality is yep. after we get the deal accepted, we're going to go get financing for 80% of the cost of the house. And this is why you tuned in tonight, folks. We are Infinity X. You are getting massive value and massive knowledge on purchase of homes, on sales of homes. Now, let's, Chris, we're coming up on the top of the hour mm -hmm. here, brother. But I, I want to get, I, I, I want to play in this space here for a moment. We're talking about primary residences here, yeah. right? Let's talk about strategic investment, right? Okay. So, at with our company, yeah. every day. We have people that are contacting us that are saying, hey, look, we want to <clears throat> we want to invest in real estate. Right. right. We want to either purchase single family, you know, rentals. We want to fix and flip. <clears throat> Give us a strategy for how we do it. So, you know, overfund life insurance, use it as leverage. Right. All mm -hmm. of those things. You know, that's that's a different conversation for a different day. But is my strategy for putting in a purchase, uh, a purchase offer different if I'm an investor? than it is if I'm looking for my primary residence. It's really not. Usually it would be. Interesting. But in this market, it's all about heavy cash down. Mm. So whether you're in the primary market or you're in the secondary market, you know, short homes, things like that, or yep. you're in the strictly investment market, which is more like multifamilies, things of that nature, uh, or apartment buildings or whatever, I mean, yeah, cash is king. So the more money you have to work with, the more likely you're going to be to land that what property. Do you what do you think is a higher ROI opportunity in this market, long-term rental or fix and flip? You know, that's a great question. And one of the biggest regrets I have over the years is that I was big on flipping, hmm. okay? Um, every single time an opportunity presented itself, I always looked at it as a quick in and out. I always felt that I minimized my risk because I wasn't holding on to it long term. Hmm. Um, and if I could get in on a, if I could get in and make a 35, 40% return on my investment, 
purchase a home for it's sexy, right? You I, know, I, I just, yeah, it's, I, I it's attractive. One, I purchased yeah. one uh, for one sixty. I put a hundred into it. I sold it for four thirty. Mm. I mean, that's a yep. sick. It's a nice return. ROI. It's a sick sure, return. of course. And I did that in six months. You know, so mm. that's just one that I did. I did. I've done other ones. You know. Um, there's so much more involved with that, though. You have to have good contractors, you know, but you have to have and that's relationships, the thing, that, folks, And that's the thing, too. You know? Like, I would just – I would find a really good contractor. I'd cut him in on the deal. Mm. I'd say, hey, listen, I'll fund everything. You do all the work. I'd partner with a contractor. I'll, I'll pay for everything, all the costs along the way. Mm. You're going to do all the work for free, and then you and I will work out a split when we sell it on the profit. And what's that's typically what I do. And what's your opinion about wholesalers? And but just getting back to yeah. um, hanging on to properties, one of the biggest regrets I have, and I don't really re regret many things in my life, but one of the biggest things I look back on and wish I did differently, I wish that every single one of those homes that I flipped, right. I held on to. Interesting, <laughs> <laughs> because those homes right now would probably be more than fifty percent, if not seventy or eighty percent, paid off. Boom, and I'd be sitting on millions and millions and millions so of dollars. So let's of real talk. Estate. So let's talk about this for a moment. To cash out or not to cash out? That is the question, right? You know, you see so many people that have high appreciation. They're like, should I sell? I mean, listen. If what we're about leverage? If, if we're talking about investment properties and you want to cash out, and you're looking to take your money and put it into something else yeah. that's going to be a worthwhile investment, then I'd say cash out, especially if they're investments, because you're going to get taxed now, just like you're going to get taxed later. Although. I don't know if we have a different president in another two years, capital gains tax on real estate could change. Um, so capital gains tax rate does change based on who's who's in office. You know, they could change that. Um, so I would say. You're, so you're saying hang on to it because you can use it as leverage for other other things. Potentially. Yeah. Right. OK. Yep. Um, but if you cash out and you have a whole bunch of cash. You could still leverage that cash when you're purchasing the asset. You know, you leverage the fact that you're you're going to use the asset as leverage, right? And you take that cash, put it on the uh, on the asset that you're acquiring. Um, so I don't know. I mean, listen. I, well, I, I guess I, I was I, always big on I was always big on flipping. I was I was like the instant gratification. Yeah. Like I could get yeah. in on a property, I could spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I make a hundred thousand dollar return. Like that's that's pretty awesome. That's fifty percent return. Right. You know, roughly. Um, so I was always big on that. My business partner in real estate is big on holding everything. But I always hear him. He's like walking around the office crying. Well, he's mother effer, you know, kicking <laughs> shit into the wall because like he's getting a call that, you know, there's a tree down on one yep. of his houses yep. or a fence or whatever. And like, yep. you know, so uh, there's obviously drawbacks in that regard. But I look at him now, you know, 15 years later, and he's telling me that a lot of these are about to be paid off. And he's got like 15 properties around this area that we're in right now. Well, that's my point, right? You know? and, and yeah. So he's sitting on, he's probably sitting on like seven, $8 million in real estate. Right. That's almost paid off. Right. He's got seven or $8 million in real estate. Yeah. And these are assets that and are not going to stop appreciating. I, I doubt right? those, that hundred grand that I made on that flip. Yeah. If I held on to it, that house would be worth 600 today. Well, that's opportunity costs, right? You know? Or lost opportunity right. costs, right? And so to that point, folks, you know, we are infinity X. This is a stage and microphone for human excellence. Um, I'm going to put out there to all of you that this is a strategic partner, right? This is somebody who I trust and somebody who I consult, right? And have conversation with pertaining to opinion on what's happening in markets, particularly real estate markets, um, strategy centered around that. And um, you know what we were just having the dialogue about is, do I use leverage? Do I cash out refinance? Do I sell? All of these things, 
need to be consult. You need to have consultation with yeah. a planner, without a doubt. You need to have consultation with a planner. Get in touch with us here at Epic. That's what we do. It's what we do each and every single day, right? To talk about, okay, is this applicable for you? Are you thinking about moving into the investment market in real estate or in some other vertical, right? Um, you know, can you give me wide angle consultation on it? You know, a, how does my real estate portfolio impact the other decisions that I make? The answer is yes, right? And you know, we have we have tools and software and all these different um, you know things that are our disposal that will you know that as, assist us each and every day with providing this level of guidance. And it's also about proximity. Right. Proximity is an incredibly powerful thing. And we are blessed and fortunate <laughs> to have proximity to somebody like Chris Walsh. Um, and Chris, you know, just before we finish up here tonight, any parting shots um, that, that you put out there for people that uh, are moving, are in the market, are frustrated with the market, have missed out on those 17 different purchase, you know, um, purchase offer opportunities? I think take a hard look at uh what you're, who and what you're utilizing as your resources, because that's probably playing uh, a big part in whatever drawbacks and whatever hurdles that you're running into. Uh, if you're struggling to, to find a home or, or struggling to acquire a home. But, you know, I, some advice for anybody who's on the fence, who's thinking about purchasing or thinking about waiting or whatever, uh, just like with anything else in life, I always say the best time to do it is now. Um, I think that when people wait, they don't really know what they're waiting for. Uh, they just think that they're waiting for something to happen. And I always say, if you wait until you're ready, you'll be waiting forever. <laughs> well, uh, folks, we are Infinity X. This has been a stage and microphone with Chris Walsh. Um, replay, we are InfinityX.com. We are InfinityX YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. And um, Chris. It is just, dude, every single, I'm so gravitated towards you, man. I, I, I just really, really Thanks, enjoyed, dude. this was, this was as real as it gets. It's as relevant as it gets. And people are really, really thinking about these yeah, things in a, in a big, big way. Hey, listen, if anybody out there uh, has any questions or anything at all, you know, real estate or otherwise, uh, you can definitely hit me up on Instagram at the real estate leader uh, on Instagram. And uh, I'd be more than happy to chat with you. And uh, I respond to all my DMs. So feel free to hit me up. This is Chris Walsh. We are Infinity X. Folks, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us this evening. We continue to bring and look to bring value each and every single Tuesday, bringing new speakers, new conversations, megapreneurs, people like Chris Walsh. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us this evening. Until next week, we are Infinity X saying have a great Tuesday. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.